When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome, fight fans, to another episode of BTR Boxing Podcast Career Profiles. And today's episode is voted for by the users of Twitter, the listeners of the podcast. You voted for Joe Calzaghi's career profile. And it was in and amongst some of the greatest fighters of all time. And very surprising that it actually won. It was in there with Marvin Hagler, Penel Whitaker, and Manny Pacquiao as the greatest left-handers. So, really surprised this actually came out on top. And Johnston was also very surprised that this one came out on top as well. So, before we get into this episode, as always, go and find us on social media and follow us on Twitter at BTR Boxing Pod and on Facebook at BTR Boxing Pod. Podcast. Also, subscribe to the podcast by finding us on Apple Podcasts, BTR Boxing Podcast, in the search bar. You can find us on Spotify, you can find us on Podbean, Stitcher, Spreaker, Player FM. If you are a YouTube user, you can go and look for Eat Sleep Boxing Repeats YouTube channel, subscribe, and we will get all the latest episodes uploaded on there for you to listen to via YouTube if you wish to do so. So then, as voted for by you, the followers of Twitter, the users of Facebook, the listeners of BTR Boxing Podcast, this is the career profile of the Welsh wizard, Joe Calzaghe. Joe so here we go, as voted for by you, the users of Twitter, the listeners of BTR Boxing Podcast. This is the career profile of Joe Calzaghe. And it won off the back of an absolutely fantastic poll put out by yourself, Johnston, about some of the greatest left-handers. So this this was actually in a poll including Manny Pacquiao, Pernell Whitaker, and Marvin Hagler. And it actually went really close with Marvin Hagler. Uh, and Joe Calzaghe came out on top. Yeah, surprisingly. Um, he was actually my fourth choice. Um, I mean, uh, you know, for all the... You know, I do like Joe Calzaghe. I always had, uh, for me, Hagler is the best South Pole that's ever lived. Uh, Penel Manny, pretty close. Um, but Joe, at the end of the day, look, people voted, loads of people voted as well, over 200. And, and that was good. It was, it was good to get good response. And obviously, Calzaghe came out and top. So, uh, yeah, obviously... Uh, a lot of Welsh people listen to the show then. <laughs> yeah, no, actually, there is a lot of Welsh people. There's a lot of guys that have, uh, have, have spoke about some of the Welsh fighters we've had on for the Ones to Watch series. So, actually, this will be a really good one for them. And we've also had Barry Jones on for the life and times of. So, yeah, I'm pretty sure the Welsh fans will be happy with this particular one. One of the greatest Welsh fighters to have ever graced the squared circle. We'll be covering his career off, and we're going to be covering off his early days, his amateur 
experiences we're going to be covering off his professional career of course where it started where the significant breakout was some of the most defining fights of his career which we'll touch on briefly uh, and obviously the, the the sort of aftermath of him retiring and what sort of legacy he's left in the sport so let's get into it then and let's talk about Calzaghe as early days then talk about where he was actually born something i didn't know about kazagi and something i automatically always assumed about him throughout his career was that he was straight from wales actually he was born in hammersmith in london and i never knew that until yeah. we doing, i was doing the research yeah. for this one yeah yeah his, his dad was in it um his, his father um uh... Let me see if I can get his first name here. Uh, Pietro Vincenzo Calzaghi, obviously, a.k.a. Enzo. Uh, was actually born in that beautiful uh, Italian island, Sardinia. Um, he was actually um, just, I don't go too much on Enzo, but he was uh, he, he loved his music, didn't he? So he, he was actually, him and his brothers were uh, backing, uh, they, they basically backed um, a few groups, uh, Bucks Fizz and Adam and the Ants and Paul Young. So, he, you know, he... He loved music, um, and then obviously they were going sort of back and forth between the UK and Sardinia, and then obviously they met um, Joe Calzaghe's mother, uh, Jackie, and uh, they ended up in London, and obviously that's where he got. He, got, he was born in Hammersmith, uh, but he was only there apparently for a few months, um, and then they moved to the south of um, of Wales, um, and that was uh, where he basically stayed for the rest of his life. Um, but he never lost... Um, obviously he's last still today actually um, but um, he, uh, he he always he, he never really wanted to leave he did sort of go back and forth between Sardinia with his dad but you know and he, and he always uh, kept that Italian sort of the Italian dragon that's where that all come from but yeah going from, back through sort of Joe's career I never knew he was born in Hammersmith until we was uh, looking at the profile no, it was uh, it was something I never really sort of looked into, if I'm being totally honest with you. And I have actually sat down and watched documentaries on Joe and the one that they brought out a couple of years ago. I watched that and I, I, I failed to actually remember the, this fact as well. So it was quite interesting to, to really refresh my memory on the fact that he actually wasn't born in Wales, but he was born in Hammersmith and moved to Wales uh, around about the age of two with his family. And obviously, as growing up, and you hear all the various interviews from Joe himself about his early childhood he's actually naturally a shy person growing up and one of the things significant that I remember from interviews from him was that he was actually bullied a lot at school growing up and it was something that I was really surprised to hear about when listening to him speak about it because you think of Joe Calzaghe as as he was in the ring and you know when he retired he was he seemed full of confidence you know he seemed a guy like knew where he was but I suppose that was all the years of, of boxing and the discipline that boxing had taught him in his career and it made him into the, the man we know him as today but it was really sort of sad to hear some of the stories of, of, of him growing up in school and eventually you know he, he goes to the boxing gym and starts boxing and he was boxing from the age of nine and it's, it's quite common a lot of people do box from an early age and especially when they've got someone who's really keen on boxing and mad on boxing like his dad was Enzo you know he was really really wanted him to be a part of of, of a boxing and, and and that was something that when you watch back and you read through and you look at all the research on Joe Calzaghe's career it was just again I always speak about this uh, it's like destiny it's like fate and it always seemed to be the way with with the Calzaghe's that they was always going to end up uh, in boxing come hell or high water but his amateur career his amateur career 
he actually had about 120 amateur contests and he won four schoolboy ABA titles followed by three consecutive senior British ABA titles between 1990 and 1993 and reportedly had an amateur record of 112 wins against only 10 losses yeah he had a decent amateur career Joe didn't he um, and uh, he always uh, in sort of two interviews I've, I've watched recently he always uh, mentions his first ever amateur fight um, that he lost and he still says uh, to this day that you know it was pretty suspect considering that the referee was the other kid's dad so <laughs> that's what he put it down to the fact why he lost that his first ever amateur fight, but you know, he was a keen footballer as well. He's always uh, mentioned that he, he really wanted to play football. That was his real first love. And then, um, but obviously, he just as you say, it was just something in the blood. He just had disability. Um, he had those fast downs from an early age, and he was, you know, something that people fail to sort of don't really realise or you associate with Joe Calzone. He was, he had punching power back then. He was putting people away in the first round in his amateur competitions, and then. Um, you know, ideally, he wanted to go to, to the Olympics um, over in Barcelona for, for the 92 Olympics. But um, unfortunately, it was Robin Reed that actually edged Calzaghe out of the Olympics. Um, so in 1993, that was when he decided to turn pro. Um, and he had his first fight in Cardiff on the uh, Frank, uh, Lennox Lewis, uh, Frank Bruno bill. He's thrown everything. Oh, he's got it again with the right hand. It's the second count of the round. He's been told to get to a neutral corner, and how much more of this will Hanlon be able to take? He's up at eight, he's brave, and the referee's taking a look at him and saying no more. It's a first-round win on his debut for Joe Kawasaki from Newbridge in Gwent. The Welsh fans like this, they like the look of this 21-year-old who was an ABA champion at welterweight, light middleweight, and middleweight, and, well, he did nothing wrong there. I know, what a, what a start to your professional career on a fight of that magnitude at that period of time as well. You know, people of this day and age, fighters of this day and age, get the opportunities to fight on some fantastic bills. But making your professional debut on a bill such as that, a big British domestic heavyweight showdown for a world title, nothing better than starting your career on that. And he actually beat... Paul Hanlon in one round, who was a 23 fight veteran on his professional debut. So, what a start to his professional career there. And as he moved on through his career earlier on, by September 1995, he'd won 13 out of 13 fights. And you look at his career earlier on, you know, he was blowing people out of the water. And you said, and you quite rightly pointed out, that he had some power back in his early days. This was well before he was having all the issues that he had with his hands and the sort of brittleness of his hands later on in his career. But he was firing people out in, in emphatic fashion. You know, you look at some of the early fights in his career. I mean, he's stopping guys i think it was i think it was actually seven in the first round and two in the second and he's beating experienced fighters you know there were two american fighters on his on his resume frank minton and robert curry and you look at other fighters that he'd been in the ring with he'd actually also been in with bobby joe edwards who is well known uh, up here on the manchester circuit you know he, he's well known i've met bobby he's a pretty quirky guy and sort of his claim to fame is fighting joe carl to be fair in 1990 
1995. So, you know, he had some really, really good wins on his record there. And then we also had a win, a win against Nick Manners in 1995. Again, another guy known well on the circuit up in this neck of the woods in the northwest sort of Lancashire region. You know, he's another guy well known for, for his training that he does these days. But I think his first big breakout, really, for me, looking back on his resume and looking back on his career, was when he fought for the vacant British super middleweight title against Stephen Wilson. Yeah, I think I think that was the, the marquee sort of. He made his mark. It was an impressive, dominant display from uh, from Joe Calzaghe against Stephen Wilson. And you no, know, if I remember, I think Stephen Wilson had only lost one fight. So you know, it was he sort of coasted through Calzaghe. I think probably because he didn't. Now, he didn't make the Olympic team, um, and then obviously he decided to turn pro in '93. Um, he sort of, uh, you know, it was just that lack of exposure, um, so he pretty much sort of went through the ranks that sort of as a rel- relative unknown until obviously he met Stephen Wilson and and won that British title. He obviously defended it against Guy Stanford, which was a, a, a first round knockout, and you know, he, he just. He, he, what, you know what? What he did do well was that he, you know, he, he put people away that were put in front of him. There wasn't any real big names that you know at the time as such. I mean, he was sort of on the on the coattails of of obviously that fantastic sort of middleweight division of with Collins and um, Ben um, and obviously Eubank. Um, so it, they were sort of coming to the end of it, and this was you know Kazaki was this fresh kid working his way through. So. Sort of having a look, sort of in the archives, and sort of digging around, to see if there were many British up-and-coming fights. There wasn't really, um, and and obviously then he, he, he sort of uh, he beat Anthony Brooks as well in two rounds before the defence of the British title again against Mark Delaney, who Mark Delaney at the time was was a puncher. He, he was a bit of a puncher and he was dangerous, and it was the the, the first real real fight and marquee fight for Calzaghe after the Wilson fight. The difference, yeah, cancel out the arrears, yeah. yeah. He, he can bang with that. That's the one that's doing all the problems. Yeah, when he puts them together, his punches like that, and little salvos, Kazagi, it won't take a lot for uh, John Cole to step in. He's standing off again, Reg. He's not getting involved, giving himself room to yeah. punch and wearing him down. I don't think Mr Delaney has much left, Reg. Now, I said that the referee it wouldn't, wouldn't take too long to stop it if he was really under fire for the whole of this round. See, Delaney's had no success, that's the problem here. If you're taking nice. punches, but you're getting punches back home, you can let it go, but he's just shipping that's punishment. It. I knew he would go in there, John Cole. He's right on the button there, and he saved this man. He couldn't go on like that. He's terribly marked up at the end there. He's got all those bruises of battle. And a, a cocky, but what a confident defence there by Calzaghe anyway. And that seems to be the name of the game, isn't it, these days? You've got a little bit of cockiness in there uh, to draw some attention, and certainly... The Welshman from one time, Hammersmith, yes. become, could well become a big name in the fight game if he's not already, as it was entitled to be a British uh, super middleweight champion. It certainly was, and obviously this was a big fight for him, defending the title against an undefeated fighter. And the way he went in there and dispatched of Mark Delaney within five rounds was really, really impressive. Because at this stage of the career, going into the fight, Mark Delaney was 21 wins, 17 knockouts. Calzaghe was 16 wins, 15 knockouts. So it was a battle of who was going to get each other out first at this one. And it's, cra- it's crazy to think about 
this because we know Calzaghe at the end of his career how he had to adapt to, to, to fighting how he had to adapt to getting the victories over the big marquee names at the end of his career because of the issues with his hands but at this point of his career you know 1996 he's not got all these issues with his hands and he's able to go in there and sit down on his shots a lot more and he was able to dispatch of Mark Delaney within five rounds in what was a great little scrap and I think if you've not seen this one it is available on YouTube to go and watch and if you want to watch some of the early Calzaghe fights this is definitely one of them to go and check out because I really enjoyed watching this one back and looking back on how he made his major impact in his career because being honest with you I didn't really pick up on Joe Calzaghe as a fighter actually until the Chris Eubank fight which we'll come to in a few mm-hmm. minutes because back then obviously there wasn't a lot of TV around in the UK to be able to pick up these fighters you, you only really had I TV who only had certain names on there because a certain promotion had the rights over that TV station and you had Sky and that was only if you was not poor enough to afford Sky in your house as well so if you had a Sky subscription you'd you'd catch guys like Prince Nazim Hamed coming throughout his career your Steve Collinses, your Robin Reed you know you'd get to watch all these fighters coming up, Ryan Rhodes another one you know these are guys that were always on Sky and always on the Sky show so Joe Calzaghe when I first got to see him was against Eubank and before he got to Eubank he then went on to, to fight one, two, three, four, five more times before he ended up going in uh, against Eubank which actually is something that people may or may not remember about the lead up to the Eubank fight was actually this was supposed to be Calzaghe versus Collins on the full Monty bill. Now that full Monty bill I do remember really really well clear as day because I remember being so excited to watch it because it was on the same day England played Italy so it was billed as a double bill. You had England versus Italy World Cup qualifier for 1998 and then straight after that you had the full Monty bill with the likes of Nazim Hamed and Ryan Rhodes on there in Sheffield in in what Ryan Rhodes described to me recently as, as one of his best nights and one of his you know most great atmospheres to be boxing on so if you go and look on on the internet you can actually find the original posters for the full monty promoting the fight with steve collins now steve collins actually went on to announce his retirement so this fight wasn't going ahead with steve collins and instead chris eubank who again was coming towards the end of his career at this point decided to take that step in and was also then highly ranked at the time and was available to fight for the WBO super middleweight title. Yeah, yeah, that, that, I'm, I'm with you. I, I, the first time I, I see uh, Joe Calzaghe was obviously the Chris Eubank fight. And I do recall the uh, the night and obviously I think that was the uh, nil-nil in Rome as well, England, Italy. I remember that um, remember that quite well. I think they'd, they'd just beaten us uh, sort of previously 1-0 moving away sort of from boxing there for a minute but yeah that was a, it was a it was a great night of boxing as well I mean I mean just before that there was one thing there was a few things just before the Eubank fight as well that he actually had uh, five fights from February 1996 to May 1996 which actually averaged about every 19 days that was Joe Calzaghe's little run there between those years sort of against Pat Lawler and Mark Delaney as we've already spoke about but then the other major thing was that he decided to um, to leave uh, Mickey Duff, and Mickey Duff was his sort of promoter at the time, um, and he looked after Joe, and Joe uh, decided to leave 
Um, and then obviously he had the two, he had the Tyler Hughes win um, and the Lucio Torres win before the Eubank fight, um, which I, I think they were both on um, on uh, not Warren's card. It wasn't Warren's card. It was uh, it was Eddie's uh, Eddie's dad um, Barry Hearn. In the end, he signed with Frank Warren in the summer of 1997. Frank Warren was actually he was he was the man of, of Sky Sports at the time. Frank Warren wasn't he? So, and as you say, you know he, he could have fought. Um, Collins and then obviously Collins decided to retire but a great fight the first one the first one the, the only fight with, with Chris Eubank and, and I remember sort of thing, thinking in my head that you know I weren't too sure I didn't really know much about Joe Calzaghe people were saying he's an up and come fight with fight with fast hands and I weren't too you know I thought maybe Eubank would do him and, and with that first round he got put down straight away with that left hand and I was like wow untried and let's go with the left hand straight away Eubank May I didn't know whether he might just try to catch Kalzaghi cold well Kalzaghi is a very fast start at 10 first round oh, and the left hand puts Eubank on the floor for only the fifth time in his career what a start by Kalzaghi he means business alright this Welshman Okay, so uh, who is this kid? But um, Joe Calzaghe did actually uh, come back, come out with a great line. He said, he said that um, the first meaningful shot I threw was the left hook in the in the first, and he went down. But then he got up and smiled, so I knew I was in for the toughest fight of my life. And that is bang on because you, bang, you know, that guy had a granite chin, and and it was a great performance from Joe Calzaghe. It really was that big fight um, that that that. Obviously, he won a title, won a WBO title. We, you know, we've just recently spoke about uh, Yard um, with the WBO, and you know, this is this is Frank Warren all over. Another one of his fighters going for the WBO title, and it was a, a great performance from Joe Calzaghe. And and even Eubank said after that fight, he said, "I, I could I, now I know why everyone dug at him." <laughs> yeah, and I tell you what, like I said, that was the first time I'd really seen him. I'd seen highlights of him, but I'd never seen him in a full fight, and this was the first full fight I'd seen him involved in against someone who I knew very well, which was Chris Eubank at the time. Obviously, he was still a big fan favourite at the time. Joe Calzaghe, obviously, at this point in his career, was 21 fights in at the age of 25, and obviously for him, it was a massive breakout night for him, winning that world title for the first time, and being able to go on what was a fantastic run, which we'll talk about a little bit later on down the line with this WBO title but from there on in there 1998 he picks up two victories uh, against Branko Sabot and Juan Carlos Jimenez beating both of them to defend his titles in Cardiff before we come on to another fight in his career which I felt was quite significant and one which I to this day uh, would say he was very very lucky to win and I think he got away with when he beat Robin Reed by a split decision Robin Reed at this point of his career you know he was a former WBC super middleweight champion he was still a massive name in the super middleweight division at this point and it was billed as an absolutely cracking fight because Robin Reed had only had one loss on his record at this point and you think back to, to Robin Reed's career and, and some of the fights he was involved in himself guys like Vincenzo Nardellio and Henry Wharton in 97 before losing to Falani Malinga in, in a bit of a lackluster performance losing that title before then coming back in 99 and finally in Joe Calzaghe he was 25 and 0 undefeated at the time when he fought Calzaghe so this was a big fight and very controversial and watching back on that fight again and I will say it and I know it's Joe Calzaghe's career profile but I still do genuinely believe Robin Reed just edged that particular fight and I felt like Calzaghe just got away with that one and it's still something 
that is debated to this day about whether Robin Reed won that fight or whether Joe Calzaghe won that fight. But for me, this was a very significant fight because he came, he overcame some adversity. There was some tense moments in the fight. Really, good, real good display from both men in the fight. What did you make of this one, and, and what do you actually believe was the right result in this particular fight? The twelve tremendous rounds of boxing. We Are we have ready for the scorecards? Yes, Mike looks good already. I think he is. Judge Robert Bird scores the contest 116 to 111 in favour of Joe Calzaghe. Judge Paul Thomas scores the contest 116 to 111 in favour of Robin Reed. John Duggan scores the contest 116 to 111 in favour of the winner and still... Kalsagi wins it and I cannot believe that the judges had it that wide either way. Unbelievable that there was five rounds difference in all the judges. And I, and I think everybody watching it at ringside thought this is a really close fight. Two judges thought that Calzaghe had won it by five points, and the other one thought that Reed had won by five points. And the one who thought Reed had won by five points was the British judge, Paul Thomas. Oh, I thought I thought it was a brilliant domestic tear-up. I really enjoyed the fight. Um, I thought it was very close. I had it dead even, sort of five rounds each going into the 11th and 12th. And... And I can't just, it's so difficult to feel because those two rounds, those last two rounds, even the 10th, 10th, 11th and 12th rounds were especially entertaining. I mean, they both went for broke and they both went for the win, which was great to see. I mean, we don't really see it that much, uh, but they really went for it. And it was it was a brilliant domestic fight. Um, I edged towards Calzaghe. Um, uh, that was that was me watching it the other night, but I can see why Reid would would you would pick Reed, um, so I, I completely, yeah, it was, it, it, yeah, it was a split decision for a reason, it really was tight, um, I mean, it, it, the fight itself, it was almost, almost inevitable, I think, I think for Kawasaki, he, he allowed Reed to get under his skin a little bit, because obviously, he, he when we spoke about it, it was potentially supposed to be Steve Collins instead of Chris Eubank, but obviously at the time, Robin Reed had the WBC title, as you said, um, he had beat, um, uh, Vincenzo, Adney, uh, Nardello. Um, so he was a bit. He had his nose out of joint because the fact that hang on, why aren't you giving me a title shot? You know, you got a title. You could, you could, you could give me the title shot. Obviously, he picked him in the Olympics as well. So there was always that. It was an ine- inevitable that eventually Frank was going to get these two in the ring together, and they didn't disappoint. It was an excellent fight. I thought Kalzaki did just edge it. Um, I mean, he did mention the fact as well later on that he had the hands. You know, he, he had problems with his hands all the time, and it was roughly around this time after. Just, I think it was in the warm-up before. It's sort of, look, I can't remember if it was a warm-up or if it was just a training beforehand, sparring maybe. He did hurt his hand. Um, and then even, I don't know what fought Rick uh, Thornbury and uh, David Sparry after, after the two fights after this. Actually contemplating and contemplating because his hands were really giving him that much trouble and he was beginning to get hindered by And then um, his training regime and was taking its spot on him. So, but you know, obviously he carried on. But that you know, this fight in particular was 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 a real defining moment because if he had have lost, you know, he wouldn't he wouldn't be the undefeated fight that we all know today.
Oh, that's also true as well. On the same undercard of the Joe Calzaghe Robin Reed was Richie Woodall and Vincenzo Nardelli. Or Richie Woodall had actually picked up the WPC version of the title by beating Fellani Malinga, who beat Robin Reed. Uh, so he <laughs> went on. It was a bit of a strange one, really, because obviously, as we know in a few moments, these Calzaghe and, and Woodall ended up fighting each other. Uh, but obviously, before that fight happened, you had him beating Malinga for the title, defending it against Glenn Catley, who was a great fighter in his own right, and Vincenzo Nardello before losing it in early in late 99 to Marcus Bayer, who was another fantastic fighter coming out of Germany. Yeah, uh, so then we move on in Calzaghi's career at this point, and we get the fights, as you said, with uh, a very underrated David Starry. He beat David Starry and Rick Thornbury, and he then went on to beat Omar Shika, and then this is where we get the Woodall fight, and obviously we've we've heard interviews with both men. They were actually quite, you know, pretty pally at this point in in their own lives and outside of the ring. So it was, I think it was, I don't think it was too difficult, but I think they knew it was business. And obviously Joe Calzaghe went in there, uh, did a little bit of a number I felt on Richie Woodall. Eventually going into the later rounds uh, of of the fight, I think when I look back on this particular fight, Woodall gave him a few problems early on in the fight. And then I think as Calzaghe took over and started to, to be, land the more significant punches, I think that's when we started to see Woodall unfold a little bit. And this actually would be Woodall's last fight before he retired. And Joe Calzaghe went on to stop him uh, in the 10th round, defending his WBO version of the title. So, and again, I wouldn't say it was a significant win for him, but it was a notable win for him on his record before moving on to the early 2000s. And at this point... We, you know, he was only fighting what was being put in front of him, and it, it begs the question whether were there any was there anybody else around at the time he could have gone in the ring with in the super middleweight division because he does get a little bit of flat Calzaghe for some of the names he was going in with at the time. So you know, around two thousand and one, two thousand and two, he was fighting guys like Mario Viet, who was thirty. You know, he was fighting Will McIntyre, Charles Brewer, Miguel Jimenez, Tucker Pudwell, Byron Mitchell. You know, these were all leading up to sort of two thousand. 2003 2004 time and he was still defending that WBO world title in the process as well so people were giving him a bit of shit at the time for for, for, for that because of the fact that he weren't fighting some of the names that were in the super middleweight division at the time you got to remember around this period of time I think Roy Jones was still around in the super middleweight division I think at the time and there was a lot of talk of maybe that fight happening at some point and he never did and you know at that period of time obviously as we know he did go on to fight him later on down the line but this particular period of time where people will say Roy Jones was still you know slightly you know just I'd probably say just pushing past his best that he was but still a very big force in the division so we never got to see that fight at that period of time and Calzaghe from some fans does get a lot of shit for not taking some of them fights and for whatever reason these fights never happened but you know he was still beating everybody that was put in front of him you know you go into 2004 and 2005 and he was beating this, the, the guys that really not a lot of people have heard of not a lot of people on the boxing scene had heard of these fighters at the time so you get the casual audience and they're thinking hmm, I don't even really know who this guy is but yeah you know it's Calzaghe he's looking really good he's undefeated he's still beating people he's still the world champion but we want to see him in with these big names and I think 
that's where it led on to one of the most significant yet defining fights of his career in Jeff Lacey in 2006. Now, this has already been covered for the Legendary Night series, so if you've not already heard the tale of Calzaghe versus Lacey, go and check that out. Go and find the episode on our feed for a more in-detail breakdown of this whole build-up and fight. But the Lacey fight, this was significant for his career. Probably, for me, his most defining fight. It was his most defining fight, absolutely. And and, and as you say, he was getting criticised for the opponents that he was he was having to fight. Um, I mean, you've got to remember that, as you say, there were names out there, but, you know, he's always said they always wanted too much money. Um, obviously, he had a fear of flying, which didn't help. Um, so he, he wasn't too keen to be going over to the States. Um, and, uh, you know, so he, so he's having to fight somebody like, like, like Mario Vick, for instance. I mean, that that guy he came over. He was, he was thirty one and zero, and then, you know the pressure was on Calzaghe that night because obviously the same sort of that few months before you had Barrera uh, dethrone um, Naz, and then we had uh, Lewis get knocked out by Ratman, and he come and done a number on him. All right, fair enough, he had a padded record, but he got rid of him, and then you know I think eventually he did make that first that jump, and he went to Denmark and he beat Will McIntyre on um, the uh, Brian Nelson and Tyson undercard as well, so. You know, he 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 did make a, an effort of you know to to get over that fear of flying. I don't think he actually flew. I think he just what he did was he just drove to, to Denmark. That's some, that's some madness. But you know, as you say, he just wasn't getting these names. Um, Mary V ended up getting himself back in a position to fire him again. Um, so you know, in the end, it was just it, people were obviously writing him off quite early for Jeff Lacey. He was he was the main man at the time. People felt that he was you know they called him the mini Mike Tyson. So. You know, for for Joe Calzaghe, they didn't give him any chance whatsoever. But this was what he needed. Everybody said he needed this fight. He needed a big name. Um, all well and good to defending your titles uh, against these random fellas who people didn't really know too much. But you know, he wasn't getting any credit for it. So this guy came over to England. Uh, at, I say England. Um, it was Manchester. Yes, it was Manchester. And um, and he, he, you know, everybody, as I say, they just assumed that that. Calzaghe was going to get blasted away. Um, there was obviously the issue with uh, his hand. I think he, he, he fractured a part of, I don't know if it was a fracture or a sprain, a few a sort of a week leading up to the fight. And he was he, to, he said to like Enzo, his daddy was like, Look, do you know what? I can't, I can't fight him. My, my hand's just too gone. And, um, and Enzo said to him, look, listen to me. Even you could beat this guy with one hand. He said, it could be easy. Your movement, your speed is going to bamboozle him. And, and, and that's basically what he did. Um, you know, he had been the champion um, for nine years, WBO title now. Uh, and this guy was, was the guy that was going to come over here and just absolutely smash his face in. And, and we all know that that was the complete opposite because uh, Joe Calzaghe literally beat him for 12 rounds. I think there was only one round that was given to Lacey, and that was for um, a punch in behind, I think it was a punch behind the head or behind the body or whatever it was, an illegal punch. So deducted a point for him, but literally he battered Lacey. But he didn't just batter him in this fight, he battered him for the rest of his career as well, because after he was beaten, Lacey was never the same again. I think he fell into depression and, and he found God later on. So, I mean, he, he did. He literally done an absolute number on Lacey and everybody was, you know, no one thought it was possible. And, and it was just great for, for Joe to finally get that big name on his resume and, and, he, and boy, did he deliver. Right, Joe Calzaghe. You were sensational tonight. You said he was made for you. Not everybody believed you. You were spot on. Yeah, well, 
I'm so I can't explain how happy I am at the moment. You know, um, this is a fight. I mean, we've been after this fight to, to bring. I've already said, a better the opponent, better perform. You know what I mean? I have to perform against the best operators. Then you see the best of uh, Joe Calzaghe. So I think I, I perform well. You know, he's a world-class fighter, and I, I think I won every single round. You know, and, and I was in great shape. Thanks to my dad. He is without him, I wouldn't be here today. He's a great trainer, great dad. Love it a bit. Um, <laughs> Yeah, thanks for Thanks to Joe. Uh, thanks to you know, my little kids, Joe and Connor. Uh, see you Monday. I love you both. Listen, you gave him a boxing lesson. You boxed his head off in there. It must have been the performance of your life. I knew I had to box because the only chance he had was to stand toe to toe. I slipped up a few times nearly. Barry Mitchell fight, Charles Brewer fight. My dad told me, you're going to need to box this guy. I think I showed everybody tonight I'm a better boxer than I'm a fighter. I spoke to Barry. Barry said the same for Frank. I had to keep on the back foot, jab, move, boxing skills. And thank God, I, uh, I think I've done good. He certainly delivered in this particular fight. This was a, a fantastic win. Brilliant, brilliant fight, this. If you've not seen this one already, please go and check it out. And then also listen to the Legendary Knights episode, The Tale of Calzaghe versus Lacey, because I think we really enjoyed this particular fight. We really enjoyed speaking about it. We really enjoyed speaking about the win for Calzaghe and what was probably the best career-defining performance for me of Calzaghe's career. The fact that Lacey was billed as the, the mini-marked Tyson, you know, the guy that was going to come over and demolish Calzaghe, you know, all the talk of, of Lacey coming in and doing a number on him and the way Calzaghe absolutely battered him from pillar to post for 12 rounds, it was very dominating, very, very dominating and I really enjoyed this Lacey performance because I remember watching it, I remember it clear as day, I remember the undercard, we had Macronelli versus Hobson which was a great fight, Wayne Alexander and Tommy McDonough, we even had Chad Dawson who was 20 you know, at the time beating Jamie Hearn so you know there were some great names on the undercard a very young 3-0 Nathan cleverly picked up a win on this card as well guys like Tony Quigley David Barnes Kerry Holt you know there's it was a great great time for boxing and especially in Manchester at this point obviously with the Ricky Hatton band in full swing at this point in 2006 so you know this was great and he came back to Manchester later on that year and beat Saki Obika very awkward, uh, unorthodox Saki Obika, but he managed to grind out a win over Bika. And the next fight was against the former contender... Peter Manfredo Jr. And it was actually one that I was there for at the Millennium Stadium. At this point in my life, I was actually still studying for a degree and I was working for a security company and I ended up actually going down to work for this company and I ended up working for the, the main people that do all the Eddie Hearn shows, uh, Man Security. So we ended up actually in the inner ringside uh, of the Millennium Stadium, watch, ended up watching this particular fight live from ringside against Peter Manfredo Jr. when he absolutely decimated Manfredo Jr. at the Millennium Stadium and I think this I don't know if I'm right in saying this I could be wrong but I think this was maybe the first time uh, an event like this had been held uh, what was the Millennium Stadium at this point in time I'm pretty sure this was the first time they'd held a boxing event there because the undercard had guys like Takalu versus Michael Jennings and Gary Lockett versus Lee Blundell Macronelli was on there Bradley Price you had Amir Khan on there Kel Brook, Nathan Cleverly, Gavin Reese. You know, there was some great names on there. And even a 1-0 Derek Chisora at this point of his career as well. And I remember that particular card. A great win for him against Peter Manfredo Jr., who had been in the the original Contender Series over in America, who had came over and, and got slaughtered by... Joe Calzaghe in this particular one but this then would set up what would be the final fight 
of his super middleweight career before he moved up, and another defining night against a 39-0 Danish warrior in Mikael Kessler for the WBA, WBC and WBO World Super Middleweight titles. Yeah, yeah, it's funny because obviously he had won the RBF title against uh, Lacey as well to unify um, for the first time. Um, Unfortunately, the the RBF, uh, you know, this is, you know, this is how sanctioning bodies work so they felt that this a German guy Robert uh, Robert still I'm not going to play this guy's name guy called Robert he <laughs> was the RBF mandatory uh, uh, German um, and basically HBO weren't too best to, to cover the Peter Manfredo you know they wanted Peter Manfredo basically HBO uh, they weren't interested in this German fella so um, he was put in a position. Um, does he fight this German guy to keep his title, or does he fight Peter Manfredo at the Millennium Stadium? With HBO also, you know, showing coverage of the fight, and um, also with a chance to fight Jermaine Taylor in the summer. So that was Calzaghi's thoughts. Obviously, he decided to to just vacate the IBF title. So that's why he didn't have the IBF title um, for for that fight. It was just a WBO. But um, the Kess, obviously, the, 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 the situation was Kess was a WBA champion at the time, and uh, it was a second chance to fight at the Millennium Stadium. And you're 100 right. I don't recall anyone else fighting at the at the Millennium Stadium at that point. I think that was the first fight there um, in the stadium, and obviously Kess was the second. Um, and Kess was undefeated. We all know Mikhail Kess, a tough, tough Danish fella, and he had a couple of great fights with uh, Carl Foch later on in his career, but. A really top class fight and a top class guy, um, and it was a good fight, really good fight, and um, it was the last one in um, in Calzaghi's as a mid as super middleweight, and he won the ring. He won. Oh, actually, I think he really had the ring. He, had, he defended the ring. He defended the lineal and his WBO title, and then um, he won the WBA WBC super middleweight titles as well. So it was he basically had all the belts back by the I think. You know, with the way the sanctions body work, okay, he vacated the RBF, but you know, it was a bit of a you know, the RBF champion at the time was over near the standard of a Kessler or a or, or Joe Calzaghi. So rightfully so, Calzaghi was not really the undisputed, as in you know he didn't have all the belts, but he really was that made him the undisputed super middleweight, and that basically cemented his legacy as the best super middleweight in the world at that time. But let's just take a little pause for one moment to give a shout out to the sponsors for BTR Boxing Podcast. It's Bear Attack Boxing, providing high quality boxing gloves, boxing equipment to your suitable needs. You can find them at www.bearattackboxing.co.uk and all over social media. You've got the Fight Pro One gloves, the Pluto gloves, the new Bear Attack Boxing t-shirt range, the inner gloves, the hand wraps, some great boxing products on there. So go and check them out. And also, we've got a little present for you. Because you're a loyal listener to BTR Boxing Podcast, we've got an exclusive discount code for you. Now, it's a 10% discount. And all you've got to do is when you're at the checkout and you've got them boxing gloves and that t-shirt in there that you want to buy, go onto the promo code and enter BTR10 for 10% off. And 10% is not something to be scoffed at in this day and age. It can definitely get you a few quid off them high quality products that Bear Attack Boxing are selling. So, as a loyal listener to BTR Boxing Podcast, when you buy or purchase something through Bear Attack Boxing's website, 
in the promo code enter btr10 and you will get an exclusive 10 percent discount off your basket so please go and take advantage of it follow them on social media bear attack boxing and it's bearattackboxing.co.uk it certainly did cement his legacy as one of the best super middleweights of all time as well. And it's a very bold statement to make, but it's a bold statement I'd stand by. Now, again, we, we alluded to this fact a little bit earlier that people did slag off his earlier resume. But at this point, you've got to remember he'd beat an undefeated fighter in Jeff Lacey who was supposed to come over there and absolutely smash him to bits. That didn't happen. Then Kessler, 39-0, WBC, WBA champion at the time, came over, was supposed to beat Calzaghe, younger fresher man and Calzaghi outboxed him for 12 rounds winning uh, four rounds on two cards and five rounds on the third card cementing his legacy as one of the greatest super middleweights that Britain as a whole and Wales have ever produced so that was great and what else was there left for him to do well obviously he moved up a weight and this is where two of the the biggest names of his career was on there and on his resume and this is where people will always argue about Joe Calzaghe about his resume and about his career because he fought guys that were supposedly coming towards the end of the careers in his final two fights so we'll move on and we'll talk about his next fight obviously I think the, from what I remember at the time he wanted to move up anyway I think weight was if I, if I remember rightly and people can correct me if I'm wrong but I think weight was starting to become a slight issue at this point because he obviously his age is creeping up as well at this point you got to remember this guy had been around since 1993 making his debut on Lennox Lewis versus Frank Bruno so he, he's getting older uh, what fight can he have next but Bernard Hopkins which was a fantastic fight for him a massive name at the time a guy who'd been in the middleweight division and held the title for a number of years uh, moved up himself been in Involving some great fights over the years himself was regarded as going towards the end of his career at this point and that's something we'll touch on in a couple of moments but you can look back on on Calzaghe's career and at this point he's 36 and Hopkins is 43 and, and Hopkins has obviously been in there with some absolute amazing names over his career Della Hoyers, Jermaine Taylor's, Antonio Tavers, Ronald Winky Wright so in the lead up to the fight with Joe Calzaghe he fought Antonio Tarver beat him and Ronald Winky Wright and beat him so he'd actually had a resurgence after losing to Jermaine Taylor uh, in 2005 back to back with a split decision and a unanimous decision and obviously Calzaghe had just finalised and cemented his legacy in the super middleweight division and the build up to this particular fight was quite interesting because obviously Hopkins was very brash as we know he still is to this day he's mellowed a little bit in retirement but he was a bit brash at this time and he was giving it all the talk about how he lived a clean life and you know how he'd been to prison and come out of prison and gone on to define history in the middleweight division and one of the most controversial comments he made in the build up to this uh, in a little bit of a scuffle and a melee between two two sort of entourages was the fact that he was never going to let a white boy beat him and oh my word would them words come back to bite him on the arse when them two met in the ring no chance you lost me man you got no chance <laughs> you're a legend you're a legend you know that I would never let a white boy beat me I would never let a white boy beat me I would never let a white boy beat me I'd never let a white boy beat me and you call in any statement you want anybody can put that I would never lose to a white person I can't wait man that's gonna be oh yeah definitely I do remember that well when I was thinking what an absolute to be honest with you, I know Kazagi batters him, and um, 
I didn't I didn't get to see this fight. Um, I remember clearly because uh, I remember standing up and uh, listening to it on the radio. <laughs> uh, one of those fights that I just had to, you know, I had to go back to basics, unfortunately. But I remember being um, quite nervous because I really wanted uh, Karen Zaghi to, to do Hopkins, especially after putting a stupid statement out like that. And, and Hopkins was one of those, really. You know, you either loved him or you didn't like him. He weren't, I didn't really, weren't too keen on Hopkins, although, you know, you can't deny, you know, he was a, he's a great fighter. But, you know, saying that, um, it didn't start very well for Calzaghi. I do remember listening in there. I remember him getting put down. And I do remember the commentators sort of saying, it might have even been there, Costello. I can't remember. But um, she was saying it was a bit of a flash knockdown. And, and, and it was a bit of a, it was, it was a slow start, really. Obviously, with the knockdown and, he couldn't really get going. He was a really awkward Hopkins, and um, you know, as anyone knows. Uh, so, so those first sort of four rounds from from sort of what I've listened to, and obviously I went back and watched it sort of a couple of weeks later. Um, and it, it took a while for him to get, but when he did, he was reading those right hand Hopkins, and he was moving well, and just literally just, just controlled that fight and and sort of smashed Hopkins really for the rest of the fight for me. And I thought he won it quite convincingly. Um, Two of the judges had it quite convincingly, and uh, one judge, which I'm sure we'll all know and remember, was Adelaide Bird. No, Adelaide Bird, notorious as ever back in 2008, giving an absolute shite scorecard as always. But going back to this Hopkins fight, then, yeah, obviously I remember it getting him, he got knocked down early in the fight, he got caught cold uh, with a punch coming in, and obviously that was it then. You know, he had a bit of an uphill struggle from there because, you know, we know that he was fighting an American fighter over in Las Vegas. The odds are stacked against him really a little bit at this point, but then he come back and put on a really, really good display. I also remember the point when he got him into the uh, to the corner uh, and he sort of pushed him or forced him into the corner and he had he, <laughs> he sort of did like a little bit of a gyrating uh, on his ass didn't he like and and just sort of taking the piss a little bit out of Hopkins and <laughs> it was great it was great to great to look back on even now it still makes me laugh and I remember watching it after clock in the morning thinking yes you go on Joe you go and show that absolute arsehole that guy who's bringing race into the equation I mean I'm not being funny but if this was said in, in, in 2019 now, if he would have said, I'll never let a white boy beat him, if that would have been no. said the other way around, if that would have been Kazagi oh. saying, I would never let a black man beat me, there would have been riots, there would have been all sorts of media outlets covering this, talking about racism and all sorts. But, you know, this got left under the radar a little bit because uh, it, it was completely different. So, you know, that, that kind of brought a little spite and a little needle into this particular fight. But then obviously Hopkins went on to pick up uh, the, a title later on down the line by beating Kelly Pavlik. So actually, this win made it more defining in Joe's career because of what Hopkins went on to do. You look at what Hopkins did after he lost to Joe Calzaghe and he went and beat Kelly Pavlik. He then went on and beat Roy Jones Jr. He then got a draw and then a victory over Jean Pascal to win the WBC, the IBO and the vacant WBC Diamond Lighter Heavyweight titles in there. So think about it like that. This is a guy who went on to do some amazing things in the sport. Uh, he went on and beat Bebe Shumanov and won the WBA, IBF and IBA 
like heavyweight titles. So I'm not being funny. Like people talk about this win with Calzaghe over Hopkins as oh it was a close fight, you know, it could have gone either way and blah blah blah. But I'm not being funny. This win was very significant in his career. People say he was cherry picking fighters who were old and who were at the end of the career. But to me this win was even more significant going for for what Hopkins went on to do in his career and then he got to his final fight of his career which was a shame really that we're going to talk about this as his final fight because I would have loved to have seen him carry on just for maybe one more year longer and maybe that fantasy fight with Froch would have happened if he would have been around for another year but the Roy Jones Jr. fight was something he always wanted this was something that should have happened around about the 2000-2001 mark it never did and they both admitted they wanted the fight they eventually got it on in November 2008 and again Joe Calzaghe's down early on, getting caught cold off Roy Jones Jr. Calzaghe knows that Jones is quicker in the center of the ring, and down goes Calzaghe, just as he was down in the first round against Hopkins. He's down in the first round against Jones, and Jones makes his point that he uh, can hurt Calzaghe in but, flurries but, inside. But he may not make it out of this one like he did with the Hopkins. Right, he oh, he's much more at, hurt. He's, he's seriously hurt. The other one's more of a flash knockdown. Much more badly hurt than against Hopkins. And fighting rather than trying to get away. Calzaghe's going to take the chance that he can keep fighting with Jones after taking a big shot. Right. And he goes forward waiting in. But Jones is going to have a 10-8 round with which to begin the fight. Yeah, once again, he's put down, yeah, um, pretty similar, wasn't it, to, to the Hopkins fight in terms of, you know, he was just up against it from the off. Um, but, you know, it, 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 was a, it, it was a good fight. I mean, there, was, there were close rounds um, which followed the knockdown, uh, but Kawasaki did take control of the fight and, Sort of in the, in the eighth round, um, I think uh, Jones. Well, he got he got cut on his eye, but it was for me. It was it was it was pretty pretty easy night's work in the end for Joe Calzaghe, and he proved he he spread that you know he's turned so fast. Um, I mean I mean that's the one thing with I think I think at this point as well was that you know was, you know in terms of sparring wasn't able to spar. I think they used to just do intensive sparring like a couple of weeks or so. Three weeks before, before fights, he just, you know, his hands were just shot. He, he couldn't, he just couldn't hit hard enough. And it, hence the reason they had the early knockouts. And then later on, he wasn't able to get rid of guys as easy as he was able to. Like you said, he wasn't able to load up on them shots. But so, you know, it was, it was, a, it, was a, it was another significant scalp. You know, in the day, Kessler and uh, Lacey are obviously the two big ones because obviously you know, they were they were big names you know, they were touted to be superstars and Kester did go on to become a champion and, he, and he's, it, he's right you know, I think, I think it would be right to say that he is considered to be a very very good fighter maybe not a complete great but what he did achieve he did achieve excellent things after, after he lost to Calzani but I mean, I mean the one thing I, I, I did like was uh, I think the best win and the best victory on Calzaghe's resume was the cult battle with uh, Frank Warren. Now, <laughs> I know, uh, you, know, uh, you know you know, my general consensus on these promoters. And I'm not keen on promoters as it is. I don't tend to like them because I just think they're money-grabbing pieces of shit. Um, but, and when I do say that, I do mean the big, big, the big promoters. I'm not talking about the ones on the lower cards because those guys do a lot for, for these up-and-coming fighters. They're not all in it for the money. But when it comes to these lot, it absolutely is. Because uh, Calzaghe, after the Hopkins fight, um, 
he, he he ended up splitting with Frank Warren in June 2008. And he wanted to promote himself. So Frank Warren, you know, rather than just let the guy go, um, he decided to, to put a court case against Co- uh, Calzaghe, uh, claiming that a verbal uh, promise to promote uh, the Roy Jones Jr. fight was broken and that Calzaghe actually owed him $1.4 million. This is his dollars, so obviously not quids. But um, Calzaghe in turn claimed that Warren owed him past fees. So in March 2009, the High Court ruled that Warren had persuaded Calzaghe to sign contracts under duress when Calzaghe was hungry and dehydrated preparing for matches and that Warren's company, Sports Network Limited, actually owed Joe Calzaghe $2.8 million in unpaid fees. And I was well happy with that. Do you know what? I knew they went to court. I didn't realise he got $2.8 million for it. And I think that is probably one of the best or best victories on the Kawasaki's record. Because uh, I can't stand it when these promoters do, do things with their fighters. You know, so in the past, from, from, from you know, someone like Kawasaki, and through other fights throughout the years, and they go and take him to court over a It just doesn't, doesn't seem right. And I think it's ridiculous. But So, yeah, I, I thought that was a great, great win for Joe. It was a great win for Joe, definitely. You know, it's, it's like, as you say, not going too all promoterish on it and, and slating him, but I totally agree yeah. with what you said about promoters, 100%. But Joe's career ended with a victory uh, and a dominating victory after a rocky start against Roy Jones Jr. And obviously his hands were shot to shit at this point. He could have stayed on for another year. We could have had fantasy fights with guys like Carl Frotch, who was just coming into his own in December of 2008 when he beat Jean Pascal for the WBC Super Middleweight title. We could have seen that. We would love to have seen that. But Joe made the right decision for this point in his career. He decided to retire undefeated with 46 wins and no losses, becoming one of only 15 world champions who was undefeated as a world champion. These were guys like Floyd Mayweather, Rocky Marciano, Andre Ward, Terry Marsh, Harry Simon, Jimmy Barry, Ricardo Lopez in there. You've got Sven Otkert, Dimitri Parag. We've got all these guys that you know some of them are no longer with us of course but some of them you know are still with us and are still active in in the boxing scene in some capacity so to have his name etched in stone against guys like these you know is is amazing and it's amazing achievement and box reg is obviously the bible of boxing for a lot of us these days you know everyone goes into box rec to check out rankings to check out upcoming fights box rec actually have calzaghi as the best super middleweight of all time which you know i wouldn't i wouldn't argue too much with i'm sure there'll be a lot of debate and subjectiveness over but in terms of of what we've produced over in britain you know as a whole not just thinking about just wales individually but in britain as a whole he's probably one of the if not the best super middleweight we ever had people will argue there's nigel ben and chris eubank of course but, you know, Calzaghe kind of, if he's not at the top, he's in the top three for people, definitely. And what he achieved in his career was amazing. You know, he held that WBO title for 10 years. Let's not forget that. He held that title for 10 years, making 21 successful defences, the most in super middleweight history before he's moved to light heavyweight. So, for me... What he achieved in the sport is amazing. Even his peers in boxing, guys like Ricky Hatton said, 
Joe Calzaghe is the best fighter Britain has ever produced. And when you've got your counterpart saying stuff like that about you, you know, that, that says it all, really. And then, a few years ago, he ended up getting inducted into the Boxing Hall of Fame uh, in what was an emotional time for him and his dad, Enzo, in an emotional interview which they had with, I believe it was Sky at the time, and, you know, the sort of upset and emotion you could see on both of them at the time was, was amazing to see. And, you know, God rest his soul, Enzo Calzaghe passed away last year and you know he, he was the guy that for me made Joe's career he was there with him from day one to the very end of his career and some say that relationship when his father and son is very difficult and very hard to manage and, and you know it's evident in interviews that they had that there was always times where they clashed and there was always times when they had issues but ultimately Enzo Calzaghe knew his son and Joe Calzaghe trusted in his dad he did I mean they had a wonderful relationship and as you say father-son relationship doesn't always work out as, as you know, it, it, it tends to, you know, there's always going to be problems at some point. And I think uh, through the years and through history, that you know, that's inevitable that, that they don't always work. But this one in particular, I think that it, it, well, it did, it blossomed. I mean, Enzo was, again, I mean, I think that's where Joe was slightly criticised as well because Enzo didn't have that boxing background as such. Um, he had a love for the sport, but um, didn't, it wasn't really a fight, was it? So, but, you know, he went on to, to, to um, coach other champions in uh, Enzo Macanelli, didn't he? I think it was his training when he went and won a world title. So, yeah. you know, he was able to do other stuff as well. So, and that was great. And obviously, yeah, his passing sad. I mean, that's, that was terrible. That only happened last year. It was like last week, really. It doesn't seem like a year ago, to be honest. Um, but, you know, um, as you say, is he the best super middleweight? It's, it's a tough one, isn't it? I mean, there are some fantastic super middleweights there that you could throw in the mix. He's definitely in and around now. I mean, uh, Boxing News, the, the 1909 Boxing News, they ranked Calzaghe at number eight in their 100 greatest British boxers, the ultimate guide of all time. So, you know, he he sits in the top ten as the best British boxer of all time. I, you know, don't you know what? I, I, I can't really argue against it. Um, I mean, we I, I obviously went on, went on one there with the old uh, promoter with, with Frank Warren, but, it's interesting that as soon as he leaves Frank Warren, that pretty much he gets he gets the Jones fight. You know, I think a lot of the fights, um, a lot of the fighters he did fight were pre were former world champions, and he fought them afterwards. So it was always, mate. You know, it was it was never why why didn't they fight him when they were world champions? You know what I mean? It was something not quite right, and I don't think it was because he was avoiding them. I don't think fighters do. I think that's where we get a little bit blurred with it because I honestly don't believe fighters will avoid other fighters. I don't. I just think that. They're fighters, and it's in their nature. They want to fight the best. Um, and I think it's a lot to do with promoters. It's a lot to do with money. And it's a lot to do with TV companies. And, and, and they're the problem. It's not the fighters at the end of the day. And I don't think Calzeg has ducked anybody. And I think, he, 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 no, rightly so, he should be in the top ten as the greatest ever British boxers. And I'm sort of, I'm with that. I can't really take him out of there. And I think he does feature... Above you, Bank and Ben. I think he, his hands speedy with the, and when he, his hands weren't shot, I think he beats them both, to be honest with you. Um, that's just my opinion. And I think that he gets unfair criticism. Um, so, for me, he's definitely one of the best we've produced. And, and, and you know, it, it was great to, to, to watch his career and blossom into, you know, into the, the super middleweight champion, undisputed. Whether he had the IBF or not, he was undisputed in my eyes. And, and obviously go on to get those two marquee names at the end of his career. 
such a massive deal that I went to the States. I think there's always going to be doubters there that he never come over to America, you know? He, okay, he beat those, but he didn't come to the States. So I, I agree with that. And I wanted to go to America and fight. I wanted to go to the States. So I went there not just once, but twice. It'd be two of, their, um, two of their greatest. I fought two good fights out there. And I think I showed balls. I showed, uh, I, I always try to give my best. I just want fans, like people say, how do you want to be remembered? But listen, I always fought the best I could fight at the time. And also, I always fought my heart out. I always tried to entertain, sometimes too much. I always tried to entertain and give the fans what they want to see, you know? And now, you know, what can I say? You know, being inducted in the International Box Hall of Fame in 2014, first ballot with Oscar De La Hoya and uh, Felix Trinidad. Wow, two amazing greats. I think, to me, that shows the respect I have, but the boxing writers voted me in there on the first ballot. So, would I be in there if I didn't go to America? Possibly, possibly not yet, but yeah, I think um, I'm satisfied. I think I have a lot of respect of the fighters there and also of, of the public and the journalists of going to America, going to the States and fighting, but not just once, but twice. And like you said again, winning. Yeah, and I, I can't echo anything that you've said enough, really, because I agree with it. And although people might listen to this from different countries, USA, Canada, all the different countries that listen to us, you know, we really appreciate our support. You might feel we're being a little bit biased towards Kazagi, but I don't believe we are. I believe we're doing it based on factual information. I believe what he achieved in his career, practically unifying the super middleweight division and practically going up to the light heavyweight division uh, and beating two of the best names that I've ever created the squared circle yeah you know people might say Rod Jones was past his best it should have happened earlier yeah we know it should have done but it didn't nothing we can do can change that but at least Calzaghe had the balls to go in there and at least put himself on the line to try and get these fights one of the things he said in interviews uh, there's a there's an interview in particular that sticks out in mind and they always the, the interviewer asked about one of his biggest regrets does he have any regrets in boxing and his line was yeah I wasn't born early enough. And what he was meaning by that is he would love to have been born a little bit earlier to have been around in the era of Collins, Eubank and Ben. And that that's sort of where he wanted to be. He If he would have had the opportunity to fight them guys and their primes, he would have done. And he's openly said that on numerous occasions. He wanted to fight Roy Jones in his prime. He would have loved that. Whether he would have won that remains to be seen. We would never know that now. <laughs> he would have fought any of these guys in his prime. He never backed away from a fight. He was always confident in his ability. His dad would always come up with a great game plan, no matter who the opponent was, to try and outsmart him. And I think you've got to give him credit where credit is due. He retired 46-0. He got out of the game at the right time. He retired by becoming practically the undisputed super middleweight champion of the world he won every title in the super middleweight division anyway he might have not held them all at the same time but he won every title in the super middleweight division he then moved up he won the ring light heavyweight title and retained that title and then retired and for me one of the greatest british boxers that i've ever graced the squared circle yet yeah, one of the greatest super middleweights that i've ever graced the squared circle as well and i've really enjoyed sitting down to to break down some of the more significant moments of his career his early days his amateur career what he's done in his career some of the significant fights that have led on to, to these conversations and i think it's been a, an enjoyable episode and very surprising to, to to come out on top of the poll as i said at the start of the episode given who was in there with him the hagglers the whittakers the pacquiao's you know people obviously they voted for him they must have been all welsh fans of course but you know maybe they just maybe they just seen it as what we've broke down in this episode 
they've seen it as well look what he actually achieved in his career you know multiple multiple weight world champion you know practically unified super middleweight one of the great British boxers best British boxers ever of all time so you know people voted for him for a particular reason and you know I've really enjoyed this episode and I know yourself Johnson you've really enjoyed breaking down the career of Joe Calzaghe too absolutely absolutely as I say he was a I think he was always right. I think you're right in terms of that. That was a great way of putting it, that he wished he was born earlier. Because I do remember him saying that like, he'd get goosebumps watching Ben and Eubank and, and Collins and Watson. He, he used to love watching the fights. And, and he, he really would like... He, he couldn't wait as a kid to get involved and be a part of that. And, and I do believe that. Honestly, do. I think that a lot... You know, missing out in the Olympics, they didn't quite get the exposure that Robin Reed did early in his career. You know, he just sort of missed the boat just ever so slightly in his era and and in terms of not something not quite going right for him like with being the amateurs and in this because if he got on to go to the United to Olympics, I think that could have really pushed him on and because we you know, being Olympian, you know, that, that tends to happen. We see it with Joshua and we see it with with the gal and Grove, for instance, which is probably a, a perfect example where Gro- the gal was shot on and Grove wasn't and Kamzaki was a bit like that. And then he he had to fight to get himself in position, and he's, he was, you know, his hands at the time, I mean, watching back on some of the videos, he, his hands are unbelievable. People talk about Khan's, how fast he was. For a super middleweight, Kawasaki was, uh, he was just relentless with fast hands. He went to mix it to the head and the body, and I just I just think that certain super middleweights at the time when they were watching, they were like, nah, I, I'm not, I don't even want to get involved in that. And, and Chris Eubank with the now on the edge, you know, after, he, all right, Chris Eubank was over the hill a little bit, but, well, he was over the hill, but, you know, he even said he could see why no one wanted to fight him because this kid was good and, and he would have fitted in in that era. Whether he would have beat him or not, I mean, I'm sort of saying he would have. We just don't know, do you? I mean, they were all great fighters in their own rights and they all had something different. But 100%, Kel Zaggy deserved uh, a career profile breakdown by, by, by ourselves, Sean. And it was a good pick, albeit I had him as the fourth best southpaw of all time. But as you know, as the greatest British boxers, he could quite easily slot in the top ten for me. Hundred percent agree with you. So if you've enjoyed listening to this episode of Career Profiles, profiling the career of the Welsh wizard Joe Calzaghe, please let us know on social media at BTR Boxing Pod on Twitter and BTR Boxing Podcast on Facebook as well. If you've not already subscribed to the podcast, you can do that by checking us out on Apple Podcasts. Please go on there, subscribe, listen to a few episodes and then give us a rating and a review because it really really helps boost us up the apple podcast rankings and we get more exposure and as a result more people get to hear all the different series we run if you're not on apple then please go over and use any available app on Android from the Google Play Store. You can use Castbox, Spreaker, Stitcher, Player FM, Spotify, even tune in. If you use YouTube and you want to listen to us through there, we're on Eat Sleep Boxing Repeats YouTube channel as well. So go and check us out. Let us know what you think about the career profiles. Give us your feedback. Let us know if there's any others in particular that you would love to see. But in the meantime, we will be putting polls out on a weekly basis for some of the best fighters of all time, career profiling them, sitting down to discuss their careers in detail detail i hope you've enjoyed this episode and we'll see you on the next episode of career profiles every kid's right they've got a sport <clears throat> and joe wanted to be a soccer player and being i'm from sardinia you know joyless place right i brought up in sardinia but obviously i brought up in bedford as well actually in bedford. and football was my dream always dreamt football 
So in any case, Joe wanted to be a soccer player. But one particular day, they didn't pick him in school, right? For some reason or another, we don't know, probably by assist, right? After Joe Stone came back home crying, Dad, you never picked me, never picked me. So I thought to myself, OK. I had a cushion, a big, uh, big cupboard, what it is, in the house. So I bought a uh, punch bag, but it's floor, floor, ceiling one. Oh, Joe said, start punching it and learn a bit to punch it. And he really enjoyed it. A funny thing about it, that there was a big, we were in the new estates another site, and down about half a mile, there was actually a gym. That's a fluke. Absolutely, just built out of the state. And there was a, uh, down the road, there was a, you know, um, a boxing club. So obviously I took him to a boxing club, and he loved it. He loved it. I thought, bloody hell, brilliant. So from there onwards, obviously, you grew up to eight, nine, ten, and started enjoying, enjoying the boxing there, right? And the story becomes that. He started winning ABA champions, ABA titles, ABA titles. Everyone is saying already, this guy is going to be a superstar. He only needs common sense about it. But obviously, I was linking with him. It's obviously I'm his father. But I like, I like the training method. I learned more. It's my training method. And today, as you can, you can go on and talk, and that's why and why. But he created this guy, which is a special type of boxer. They're not boasting. The world knows about it, right? And I myself never trained him myself. I was not a trainer. As I come nowhere, I didn't know nothing about boxing. I was a soccer player. A musician, actually, I was a musician. For some reason, it gelled together because obviously what I visualized is a style of different boxing, which obviously me and Joe happened to be gelled well And everybody enjoyed, well, enjoyed that style. But in any case, for us, it was very successful. And to this very day, that style remains unique. And obviously, we created and defeated Joe Kazagi. <laughs> Simple as that. Podcast Network.